This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Philippians chapter 2, we're just going through again verse by verse, and we find ourselves in a uh, unique passage of Scripture today and, and with a direct application to the world which we live in, uh, which will uh, connect all the dots uh, today. We're going to start in verse number 12 and uh, read down through verse number 16. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We took a look at two weeks ago how salvation is a work that God does on our inside that will always have external ramifications and external manifestations. And when he says, work out your own salvation, the idea is the work that God's done in us will come out in the way that we live our life on a day-to-day basis. Verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Before we jump into today's message, i got to give you a lot of disclaimers before we get into it, because... This type of message, this type of passage can be misunderstood, misapplied. It can cause people to get their feelings hurt or frustrated or disappointed. And I want to try to avoid as much of that as possible by giving you a few disclaimers. First and foremost, today's message is just going to be a hard message, okay? Uh, Some days you get the easy messages that uh, are really easy to digest. Sometimes you get the hard stuff. And the Bible is just sometimes a difficult book. Uh, And when we take a look at our lives in accordance with the Bible, sometimes we come to some hard passages and have to hear some hard stuff. Today's a hard message and so I want to give you a heads up ahead of time and let me say if this is your first time at Hui College today you picked a doozy of a Sunday to come uh, you really did come back next week because next week we're talking about the empty tomb and the the resurrection and how that brings reconciliation and redemption and all that other good stuff and we're going to have probably Easter flowers and Easter lilies and and pastel colors and you'll feel a lot better next week but today's message is hard okay uh, so I give it to, to that as a preface uh, next Listen to the whole message today in context. Uh, this would be an easy message. Uh, again, we're being live streamed on the internet. This would be an easy message to get sound bites in a couple of different places and, and get some things to get really frustrated and riled up about. That's not the idea. It's a, a full message together. You've got to take it in context. Next. I'm a really passionate dude, uh, if you haven't figured that out yet. I get fired up about stuff, especially uh, the Word of God, the Bible, the Gospel, God's goodness, God's grace. But sometimes people that don't know me and don't know my personality can, personality can make a mistake that my passion comes across as anger or frustration or something like that. Not the case at all. Uh, my wife says that I'm a big teddy bear and that people that are scared of me just don't know me very well. Uh, but at no point today am I angry, frustrated, mad at anybody or anything like that. So if I'm passionate, just to, don't, uh, don't mistake my passion for any sort of anger. Also, final uh, 
fine print before we get into the message today. Today's message is not a political message whatsoever. It's a biblical message. We as Christians cannot afford to adopt a political mindset or owe our allegiance to a political party or a political system. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and the Word of God, uh, and that's where that stands. So today's message has, while we'll talk about things that are, are being pushed through in politics and legislation, this is not a political message, and our, our fight is not against the politicians. Our fight is against evil and the principalities of the power of darkness, the Bible tells us. And so all that is the precursor and your fine print disclaimers. Let's jump into the message today. We find ourselves as Americans in a unique place in American history. Uh, I believe what we're going through in the time period that we're going through right now will go down in history books for the, the rest of American history. Uh, the Equality Act uh, was uh, promised by President Joe Biden within his first day of office, and he made good on, on that promise. And the Equality Act is basically an amendment to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that protected people of certain types of races and creeds and colors and nationalities, uh, that they would not be subject to any type of discrimination whatsoever. And, and that was one of the greatest things that ever happened in all of American history, the American Civil Rights Act of 1964. But now the Equality Act, which uh, is being pushed through uh, the uh, legislative system right now, and, and again, for, for those uh, that, that don't know, President Biden said, my first day in office, I will enact the Equality Act, which is exactly what he did, and put those wheels into place. Now, the same provisions that were given to uh, people of color and, and nationalities and, and gender and things like that are also being applied to our, our sexual identities, uh, sexual uh, uh, types of... Uh, relationships that we're in and things along those lines. And to do that has caused us as Christians to have to take a step back and say, what does this mean for us? Now, the idea of an Equality Act, all of us would be for, the, uh, the even term Equality Act itself would be a distraction or even a red herring because who doesn't want equality? Uh, and, and anybody who would be against the idea of giving people of a, of a homosexual persuasion equal rights, that would be terrible, and we would agree with that. If you read through the Equality Act, and I have... It says things like, you know, that same-sex couples have trouble finding housing because people won't rent an apartment to a, to a gay couple. I don't think that anybody should struggle to find housing in one of the richest nations in all of world history. I don't think that that's a good thing, and I'm against that type of inequality per se. Uh, it wants to give rights to uh, transgender folks who want to go by a different name but don't have all of the paperwork that they need to get uh, a bank account in the name that they want to use and things along those lines, and they can't have access to, to the same financial systems that we have. Look, nobody wants inequality. Nobody wants people's lives to be purposely harder. And so the idea that anyone would be against equality for all people uh, is, is really a terrible thing. But that's not necessarily the full story. You see, while giving rights to some groups, we also have to trample on the constitutional rights of others. If you say, I cannot deny someone something based on their race, creed, color, or sexual orientation, then now that encroaches upon my rights. For example, there's a, a, a famous baker in the state of Colorado named Jack Phillips who was asked several years ago to bake a cake for a gay wedding and he refused because he claimed to be a Christian. Went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court found in his favor, after I'm sure hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal costs, found in his favor that he was not required based on his religious uh, beliefs to bake a cake for something that he felt that was wrong. 
But in 2018, someone came back and wanted him to bake a cake for their gender transition party that they were having. He refused again, and he's in court again, uh, basically fighting for the same thing. Should the Equality Act go through, bakers would be required to bake cakes for gay weddings even if it violated their conscience or their religious beliefs. If you're a photographer, you would be required to, uh, to shoot a, a, a gay wedding uh, if, even though it might violate your religious beliefs. The way that the Equality Act is written, there's actually no religious exemptions whatsoever that would even protect churches, that if a a same-sex couple or a transgender individual wanted to join our church as a member, even though our church constitution and bylaws say that you can't, that would be deemed against the law, and we would be required to, to allow that. Some churches in town will, will rent out their, their meeting space. Our church doesn't to other organizations to come in, whether it's the, uh, the Boy Scouts that want to meet here or a, a group of homeschoolers that want to use an auditorium. If that were the case, you could not deny a group of, of people using your facility and your space based on uh, the fact that they were gay or transgender or held that type of agenda. And so there's no religious uh, provisions, uh, exemptions for Christians whatsoever through this, uh, this act that's being uh, pushed through. In addition to that, it also says that basically whatever you claim to be is what you are. So if a man decides that he's a woman, then he is a woman, not necessarily just a transgender woman, but a woman, and is allowed full access to sports locker rooms, to, to bathrooms, uh, things along those lines. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, at, a, at a, the TSA at the airport, you might have a, a man who's identifying as a woman who would be able to strip search uh, females or pat down uh, girls and things like that. Things like this cause us as Christians to say, hey, wait a minute for just a second. Let's, let's pull back on this. The problem with this comes, though, is that when we as Christians say, hey, hold on, we don't necessarily agree with this. We agree with the Bible, where the Bible says that God made male and female. That Jesus himself said that this is what marriage is, when a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. That's what marriage is. But we as Christians, if we decide to toe the line, and let me just tell you this, I will, our church will, stand with God's word forever, period, end of story. If we decide to do that, know that there are ramifications of that coming. There will be a day where it would be considered hate speech to say that a transgender woman is not a real woman. That already is an inflammatory statement that already will get people thrown in, in, in really bad positions, cause people to lose their jobs even. But if we decide to stand for truth, people are going to start putting labels on us for doing that. And we have to be understanding of what that means and how do we stand against this? What is our responsibility? If we're going to stand for truth, how do we do that? We'll unpack that today. The three major issues that we see in the uh, Equality Act as it's written is the redefinition of the term sex to deny biology. It doesn't matter what your DNA says. It doesn't matter what you were born as. It doesn't matter what you were identified as on your driver's license. It is the way that it is written is the fact that whatever you claim to be is automatically what you are. And for a society that lately has been clamoring that we trust the science, let's stand with the science and let's stand with God's word. The Bible says that God created us male and female. Uh, Our our DNA tells the story you're either uh, XX or XY in your chromosomes and your DNA. Let's stand with what the science says, but this would require us to go against even what biology tells us. 
The second issue with the uh, Equality Act as it's currently written is the expansion of the term public accommodation. Uh, our church would be considered a public accommodation and we could not deny anyone the right to, uh, to be a part of our church membership uh, as a result of sexual orientation or things along those lines. Uh, everyone would be required if you have a public business or public space to service these people at their request with no questions asked whatsoever. Uh, if you think about it in terms of this, let's say for example, we created a business but we refuse to, uh, to serve, let's just say, Canadian people. You can come from all over the world, but Canadians are not allowed. Obviously, that, that would violate the Civil Rights Act of 1964. By the same token, we can't say that I have a business that I won't service with this type of industry or do these types of things. It's the exact same issue. And so public accommodation means a, a church, uh, Christian organizations, nonprofits, Christian colleges, uh, because as the Equality Act is written, there's currently no religious exemptions. That means uh, Christian schools would be required to admit uh, gay and transgender uh, students to their, their, their ranks. Christian colleges, if they decided to not allow um, folks who are practicing a same-sex lifestyle or transgender folks to their colleges the way that most Christian colleges are right now, they would lose federal funding, they'd lose access to federal um, student loans, they would lose access to things like Pell Grants, and could possibly lose their accreditation. So this is wide sweeping, it's not a matter of, hey, we want everybody to have equal rights, it's a matter of, to give these rights that these people are asking, we have to, uh, or we are being asked to set aside our biblical religious beliefs to be able to allow these types of things. And we as Christians just need to say, hey, wait a minute, we're not really comfortable with this as it, as it stands. Now, when it, when it comes to this, this is really important, and I want to be ridiculously clear on this. Authentic, real, biblical Christians wish no harm, mistreatment, unkindness on anyone under any circumstances whatsoever. I don't care who you are, what you call yourself, how you identify. I don't wish harm on anyone. I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody's life difficult. I'm not trying to, to, uh, to put anyone down. I'm not trying to make anyone feel alienated or, or, or demeaned in any way. And if you call yourself a Christian, you have the heart of Christ and you have compassion in your heart. Christians, unfortunately, have, have behaved themselves in a, a terrible way amongst the LGBT crowd, shouting people down, calling them demeaning slurs and hateful names and things along those lines in an effort to supposedly lift up biblical truth. But those people don't represent real biblical Christianity because biblical Christianity is a, is a religion of love. Jesus Christ had a heart of compassion. Now, many people want to say that, that Jesus is okay with sin and Jesus doesn't, Jesus accepts you just the way that you are and you don't ever have to change and things like that. Uh, John chapter one is very clear that Jesus Christ was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. That while Jesus was gracious and loving and compassionate, he found a woman who had been married five times and was living with a guy that wasn't her husband and he just sat down and enjoyed a chat with her while well, he found a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and dragged out by the hair for condemnation, and he found her and he showed her mercy, love, and compassion. That's the heart of Christ. He says, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. That's the critical part here. I can't condemn anybody. I don't judge anybody. I can say that I, don't disagree, that I disagree with the way that you live your life. I believe it's a sin according to the Bible, but I love you, I'm for you, and I want to see you no Jesus. That's the heart of any real authentic Christian. We're not bigoted. We're not hateful. 
And if you are, you just don't have the, the heart of Christ, period. I really dislike the vocabulary that's been used to demonize Christians and anyone who might oppose these types of movements. We're called things like homophobic or transphobic. Just the very definition of the word means to, that we're fearful of or afraid of. Like if you have arachnophobia, you're scared of, of spiders. Homophobia doesn't mean that I'm scared of homosexuals. So it's, it's the, the language and the, the labels that have been placed on us that will be placed on you if you decide to hold a biblical view on this just aren't accurate, simple as that. I don't agree with your lifestyle. You have the ability and the liberty to live your life ever how you want to. I don't have the right to tell you to change, but you don't have the right to tell me that I can't disagree with that either. And so, but we have to make sure that when we do this, we do it in a spirit of love. We do it in a spirit of compassion. Our church, we love everybody. Someone sent an email to our church a couple of years ago and they asked if our church was a gay welcoming church. And some of you might be waiting for the answer to that. Are, are we a gay welcoming church? The answer, absolutely. Everybody's welcome here. Absolutely, you are welcome here. However, <laughs> I, I clarify my statement. We're welcoming to everyone from every walk of life. However, we do hold a biblical view of marriage we hold a biblical view of relationships. So while everyone is welcome here, everyone who attends Huikala, if they attend long enough, will at some point hear something that is hard to hear for them. And that is contradictory to the way that you believe and the way that you feel. Every single one of us face that. But I would love to have you as my guest this Sunday. It's important to define terms. We are a gay welcoming trans-welcoming, queer-welcoming, whatever you want to call it, welcoming, guaranteed. What we and any other authentic, Bible-believing Christian church cannot be is gay-affirming, trans-affirming, queer-affirming, cohabitation-affirming, proud-affirming, lying-affirming. We cannot place a stamp of approval on what God calls sin. We just can't. And I'll just say this, and this might make some people feel uncomfortable, and this might be you, and if it is you, I'm not against you, I'm for you. If you're currently having sex outside of marriage, what you're doing is wrong, and it's a sin before God, and God always judges sin. Simple as that. So this is not a matter of we're against gays. God is against sin, period. And if you stick around long enough, you're going to hear your sin that you struggle with called out by name from the pulpit because God's word doesn't pull punches. And so as we, we look at who we are as a church, everybody's welcome here. And let me just say this. If you have a person who's lost from Jesus Christ, who's struggling to find answers in the world that they're in, to find out where they fit in, what they identify with, who they are as a person, who they are as a human being, and they don't know Jesus, they don't know the gospel, they don't know truth, and happen to be in a same-sex relationship. How, I'll just use this word, we tell our kids not to say this word, but I'm gonna say it. How stupid would you have to be to turn a sinner away from the, the hope and the help that they need? How stupid would you be to push away people who need to know the truth of God's word? How will they ever change? How will they ever know? The book of Romans says, how will people hear unless they have a preacher? So the idea that our church or any church would turn people away because of whatever sin they're involved with is 
utter foolishness and contrary to the heart of Christ. So let me just say this as the pastor of this church. If we see a couple of dudes walk in this church holding hands together, I hope you run up to them and say, hey, thanks for being here today. Can I find you a seat? Would you like to sit with me? How did you find out about our church? Because that's the heart of Jesus Christ. You say, well, don't you think we should correct them? I'm thankful that the first Sunday you came in, I didn't run up to you and correct you. But here's what happens. You sit under the preaching of God's word long enough. I don't have to tell anybody what's wrong. The word of God will do it for us. But they need to know that there are people out there that call themselves Christians that aren't hateful and ugly towards them. They actually love them and made them feel welcome. Now, the word of God is going to make all of us uncomfortable. The Bible says the word of God is like a sword. It's sharp. It's alive. It's powerful. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When you hear the Bible preached, it's going to hurt sometimes. But it's the word that does the work. The spirit convicts people of sin. I don't have to point out their sin. And there have been people who have been living together in fornication for years who have attended our church. And you know what I did? I love them. I encouraged them to get into a small group. I encouraged them to spend time with other Christians. I prayed for them. I wrote them postcards. I sent them birthday cards. I sent them a Christmas card. Meanwhile, them living in open, rebellious sin before God. You know why? Because I love them. So, we as Christians need to make sure that we understand our position, that we're not hateful, we're not ugly, we're not bigots. We don't hate anybody. We're not afraid of anybody. We love everyone, and everyone is welcome in this church, and everyone is welcome at the feet of Jesus. Everybody. Now, if you want me to say that what you're doing is okay, I can't do that. I can't put a stamp of approval on your sin regardless of what it is or or how you you came about it, I can't do that. This church will never be a church that affirms sin, but we are welcoming to every single human being under the sun. When we face changes in our society like what we're facing today, we have three choices we can conform. Many churches are in a hurry to make sure that we do this, to make sure that we conform to the world We'll take a look at that a little bit later in this, this message of how churches today have all but, but given up in standing for truth and have chosen to conform to this world. But again, if we're Bible-believing Christians, and we are, if the Bible is our guide, and it is, if we really believe the Bible to be true, and we do, then we need to remember that the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds. That we're not called to be like the world, we're called to challenge the world and live counterculture. That our minds and hearts have been changed by the word of God, that we don't necessarily follow along to the beat of the drum of our society, and that's okay. Our second option when we see change coming is do nothing. Sit on our hands, hope it goes away. Well, I guess we'll just sit tight till Jesus comes, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I think we'll just hang out and bide our time. At least we're going to heaven, amen. <laughs> What? No. Our third option, and the option that this church chooses, is we're going to stand for truth. Now, what does that mean, stand for truth? Are we going to organize parades? Are we going to organize rallies? Are we, are we going to, to counteract and make counter-protests every time there's another protest? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to talk about that. But what does it mean to stand for truth? You see, the gospel makes all this situation really, really simple. 
All of us have sinned against God. All of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. I'm no better than you. We're no better than anyone else. That all of us have sinned before God. And the Bible says if any man offend him one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. And whether your sin is little or whether it's big, it's sin before God and we've all sinned. And the only hope that any of us have for the sin condition that we have is Jesus Christ who came, suffered, bled, died upon an old rugged cross to pay for my sins and yours. That's the only hope that we have. Otherwise, we're going to hell when we die because Jesus is our only hope. And then anyone that comes to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance for their sin can be forgiven. Everyone. And so... Well, does that mean that gay people can be saved? Absolutely. Does that mean that trans people can be saved? Absolutely. Does that mean that hate crime perpetrators can be saved? Jesus died for sinners. Absolutely. And you see a a correct view of the gospel? Just makes it really easy. I'm no different than the next person. Uh, My sin is no different than theirs. That all of us have sinned before God. I don't have a right to judge people or to shout people down or to to contradict them or to correct them or condemn them. I just need to make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, standing for truth. We'll take a look at what that looks like for us, practically speaking, today. Here's the fact of the matter. This world is, is going through a very tumultuous time right now, but we've been called to live in this world. And it's interesting, Paul tells the church of Philippi how to stand in times like this. Take a look at verse number 15 in Philippians chapter 2. That you may be blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hey, get your life right. We talked about last week hypocrisy and how we as Christians can't afford to live lives of hypocrisy. You know why? Because this world is crooked. It's, this world is perverse. You've been called to live in it because you need to be light. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's getting pretty dark out there sometimes. It's time for a little bit of Christian light to shine. And so that's our response to this. We also live in a society that is hostile to biblical truth. (laughs) Again, if you choose to toe the biblical line, which I implore you to do, If you choose to stand up and say, I am a born-again Christian that believes the Word of God, just know that while you and I will label ourselves born-again Christian, that's a good title to wear. You will also be labeled with right-wing, nutjob, alt-right, bigot, racist, hate-monger. You're also going to be labeled with terms like Republican, conservative Republican, Bible thumper, all these other labels that you could put on. But here's the thing. Here's the beauty of our society today. I don't allow you to label me. I self-identify. And I reject your labels that you place on me because I self-identify as a born-again Christian. But just know, those labels are going to be placed, but I'm, just, I'm not going to allow them to stick. And... Here's the thing, I'm not all that old. I'm 43, I know I look really old. My wife tells me it's because my beard's all white and I look like Santa Claus, but um, I'm really not that old. I'm only 43, but here's the thing. I've seen a massive shift from the time that I was a teenager until, until now. I grew up in the South, which is you know the middle of the Bible Belt in Kentucky, and so everybody that I knew went to church somewhere, everybody. 
And so while I knew a lot of religious folks, there was around a lot, a lot of religiosity, even people who didn't believe in the Bible were okay to let people just believe what you want to believe. You, you do you, I'll do me. You know, you believe what you believe. I got my own thing over here going on and, and, and don't bother me with that. Just almost, we'll just agree to disagree. But we live in a society today where it's wrong to disagree. You can't disagree because you're either right and with us and toe the line or you're wrong and you're castigated for it. There's no in-between. And so we live in a society that's not only hostile to truth, but biblical truth is, is seen as foolishness. Oh, you allow some old book with a bunch of rules in it written by man to dictate your thoughts. That book's 2,000 years old. What does it know about the society that we're living in today? And people have become hostile to biblical truth, but that's what we've been called to live in. The world that we live in is crooked. As Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he says that you're supposed to live harmless, blameless in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. I think crooked would definitely be a word that could be applied to our society that we live in today. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 3, said it this way, there's none that understand it, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of their way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat's an open sepulcher. Their tongues they viewed as deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their eyes. And the way of peace they've not known, and there's no fear of God before their eyes. That was 2,000 years ago. Do you think things have gotten better or worse since then? I would say probably worse. I know in our American society, things have definitely trended worse for sure. And regardless of how revisionist history want to rewrite the history books that are taught in our public schools, our nation was founded on religious freedom, whether you like it or not. Again, we can hide that fact and bury it under a footnote in some history book somewhere. But the fact of the matter is, is people left Europe in search of religious freedom so that they could come here and could worship God how they wanted to without anybody telling them that they couldn't. And that's what our nation was built on. But it's trended further away from that as the years have gone on. And we're now in a situation where if you hold to the Bible and you hold the biblical truth, there will be met with hostility because the world is crooked. Here's where most Christians get things wrong. The majority of Christians get things wrong. We should not be surprised when a sinner lives a sinful lifestyle. This is what blows people's mind. Oh, people need to stop doing this. People need to stop doing that. People need to, to, to do this and do that. Hey, a sinner's gonna sin, right? Do I expect my unsaved coworker to live at the same standard of righteousness and holiness as a called out child of God? Why would you? They're a sinner. By very definition, what do sinners do? They Sin. Big shocker. So when you got your unsaved coworker who's hooking up with a different girl every weekend and you tell him, you're going to hell because of your sin. What do you think you're doing? Living this wicked, reprobate, terrible, horrible lifestyle. What do you expect him to do? He's a sinner. So what's the answer to that? The unsaved coworker that's hooking up with a different girl every weekend is the answer to that point out his flaws, judge him, condemn him, put him down, demean him, or how about this? Ooh, I got a good, I got a good alternative. How about we love that dude? Encourage him. 
Show him what real Christianity looks like. Show him the love of Jesus. Invite him to church. Share the gospel with him. Allow God's word to change him from the inside out that maybe when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in his life after he's born again or saved, maybe the Holy Spirit would show him, hey, bro, this thing that you're doing is totally empty. Change your life. How about that? No, we'll just continue to give judgmental looks and roll our eyes and scoff at him and talk about him behind his back. Come on. Sinners are going to live sinful lifestyles. I can't tell a, a, a man that's in a homosexual relationship that doesn't know Jesus, dude, you're wrong and what you do is sin. And it's shameful and it's an offense before God. He's a sinner. It's the only thing he knows how to do. And, and here's a crazy thought for you. Okay? When we're so, Christians get so wound up about judging people in a homosexual lifestyle, just know this, if this guy's lost and he stops living a homosexual lifestyle, newsflash, he's still going to hell because of his sin. That's not the real issue here. The real issue is the soul of man. The problem is the sinfulness of our heart, not the external manifestation of our sin. So Christians get it so backwards when we go and, and, and attack a group of people or attack a, people that don't believe like us and make it out like they're the enemy and we're against them. That's why we as Christians, unfortunately, have gotten broad brushed in the idea that we just hate gay people. That's just not true. But terrible Christians have done terrible things. And unfortunately, you and I get lumped into that. So how do we fix that? We live harmless. We live blameless. We live without rebuke. We let our lights shine in the darkness and we hold forth the word of light. That's what this says we do. So that's the answer. Now, while I don't get really bent out of shape that sinners sin because that's what they do, I really do have a problem when a professing Christian, someone who calls himself a child of God, indulges in a lifestyle of sin. That should cause us concern. Hey, if you're a child of God, you should not be living like that. Christians don't do that. And this is not necessarily just like a, yeah, Christians who call, gays who call themselves Christian. No, I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about guys that are shacking up with their girlfriends on the weekends that call themselves Christians. I'm talking about men and women that look at pornography that call themselves Christians. Those things don't jive. Churches who put their stamp of approval on sin. You're not a real Christian church. You're not a Bible-believing church. If you can say that this sin is okay in God's sight, it just doesn't work that way. But when sinners sin, no big shock. I I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that. So the answer is not shout these people down, condemn them, demean them. The answer is love them to Jesus and give them the gospel. The world we live in is perverse. Man, you want to talk about a supercharged lightning rod of a word? Perverse. We look at that, and I mean, when you think of the word, what would you call someone a pervert? You would think that's probably one of the hardest words you could call somebody. Like In our vernacular, we almost reserve the word perverse for like a child molester. Like, that guy's a pervert. But the word perverse doesn't even necessarily mean that. The word perverse means contrary to the accepted or standard of practice. It means when you take something that was used for one thing and use it for something else, that's perversion. If you've done any bit of uh, maybe painting or construction work around the house before, 
it comes time to put those uh, light switch covers back on all the outlets. How many have ever used a butter knife to put those back on? You know, that was you. You're like, I cannot find the, the you know, use a butter knife. You have perverted the use of a butter knife. That's not what it was meant for. It's not meant for screwing on light switches. It's meant for spreading butter or even better, peanut butter. Super chunky, right? Because everybody knows God loves super chunky peanut butter. So you've perverted the use of that. What happened? It was meant for this purpose and you used it for something else. That's perversion. When you take something like sexual intimacy inside of a marriage, sex is a beautiful gift that God's given to married couples between a man and a woman. It's, it's a gift that breeds physical, spiritual, emotional intimacy between a husband and a spouse. When we take that and we rip it out of what it was used for and use it for our own gratification, now we've perverted the use of sexual intimacy. You take the, the, the beauty of a, of a naked body that was meant to draw a husband to his wife or a wife to her husband to bring them together in a unique, special marital relationship that, that points us to the greatness and glory of God. And you take that beautiful form that God created to be viewed by only one person ever and you put it out on the internet to be consumed by strangers. Now we've perverted the good thing that God made. Are you following that? That's perversion. And so when we take the beautiful gift that was given of, of sexual intimacy inside of a marriage and we take it outside of that, in any context, we've perverted it. Men, women, if you look at pornography, you have perverted God's gift. And what do you call someone who constantly perverts something? A pervert. Hey, if the shoe fits, wear it. I would encourage you to repent so the shoe doesn't fit anymore. But if you're having sex outside of marriage, well, we're engaged. I don't care. Sex outside of marriage, the Bible calls fornication. It's a sexual sin. And here's the thing, too. One of my, one of my big pet peeves, and maybe it's just because I'm a pastor, when people say, well, all sin's the same. Mm, yes and no. James, if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. Okay? Whether you tell a white lie or whether you, you murder your neighbor, it creates you guilty before God and you have a sin problem that must be fixed. But I think all of us would agree that the guy who speeds three miles an hour over the speed limit, and some of you just found out just this moment that that was a sin, <laughs> that God created authority in your life with guidelines to keep you safe and you chose to rebel against such authority because you have a really good reason. You just found out, I'm, I was today years old when I found out that that was a sin, right? You go three miles an hour over the speed limit or you blow up a bus full of school children, I think anybody would say, those aren't the same thing, right? One is more detrimental than the other. One has more consequences and ramifications than the other. So is all sin the same? I think we would say no. So then the question becomes, not necessarily what do you and I think is bad, but what does God think is bad? <laughs> here's, what, here's what Paul says as he writes to the church at Corinth. Flee fornication. Fornication being sexual sin. Run from it. Because every sin that a man doeth, he doeth outside his body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. You're destroying your own self when you commit sexual sin. So crazy, huh? God creates a whole separate category for the destructiveness of sin, and you know what he places in it? Sexual sin. That's, that's deep. 
We don't have time to unpack that today. That's just deep. But back to the word perversion, the, the Greek word that's used here is the Greek word diastrepho. And that word diastrepho means to purposely take something that's straight and purposely make it crooked. I take something that's straight, that is good, and I'm purposely bending it so that it will be crooked. And when we take a look at sexual perversion, that's precisely what we do. We take something that's good and straight, and we're purposely making it crooked. We live in a society today that purposely wants to bend according to their will and purposely make things crooked. It's interesting. When I joined the Navy back in 1995, <laughs> Uh, Bill Clinton was president, and his famous policy when it came to homosexuals was don't ask, don't tell. You want to be gay? Keep it quiet. Nobody needs to know. Keep it to yourself. It's a private matter. And even back then in the 90s, you would ask somebody that, that appeared to be effeminate, you'd say, hey, man, are you gay? They'd say, well, that's a private question. You don't ask people stuff like that. that that's so personal. Why would you say something like that? And it was one of those things that like, hey, you keep it to yourself. Then we moved into a phase of now I can be who I want to be. And I get to be my authentic self and I get to let that be out there and I'm willing to be out and proud and, and I want to I be who I am. And it moved to, uh, hey, that's a private matter. Don't talk about that. Don't ask me about that. To, hey, I'm willing to be out there and I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter to me what other people say. I am myself. I'm out. I'm free. And your judgment doesn't matter to me. Then we move the needle a little bit further to the left of now I'm out and you need to accept the fact that I'm out and be 100% okay with that. You now have to affirm who I am and you have to agree with who I am. Then we move the needle even further to the left now where it's a matter of you not only have to affirm who I am, you need to celebrate who I am. Because this is a very, very good thing of who I am. Look, you take an athlete who is a, a mediocre athlete and they come out as gay, they're automatically going to be a spokesperson because they were so courageous to come out. And, and now people are founding, finding newfound notoriety and just being nothing more than, than gay. And so again, we're looking at this situation and we're saying we're now no longer just supposed to accept people. We now have to celebrate it and just know I'm not a prophet and I might look back at this, this recording 10 years from now and say, hey, I was dead wrong on that. But there's coming a day where there will be a, a gay pride national holiday where it's a Monday where you get off work and don't have to go to work and there's gonna be parades and some of you might be required to participate in that. We had some folks who, who played in the Navy band several years ago that were asked to play in a gay pride parade. Said, Pastor, what do I do? You talk to your supervisor and ask if you can get out of it. If not, you do your job. Simple as that. But here's a, here's a question. I haven't even really thought that through, this through. I'm just thinking out loud. If you're given a gay holiday to take off of work in celebration of, of gay pride, would you take the day off? Would you take pay and not go to work celebrating something that you don't agree with religiously? I don't know the answer to that, but these questions are coming. If the office is having a, a gay pride booth and you're required to be there as part of their diversity program, would you go and man the, the booth at your gay pride event? for your, your company, or would you lose your job over it? I don't know. I know according to the Equality Act, you don't have any, any protections or any provisions to be able to say no without losing your job, that's for sure. But what will we do when these times come? Because we've taken things that were straight and we have, have twisted it, we've perverted it into what we want it to be. 
the world now requires us to deny biblical truth and scientific facts. Here's what the Bible says. God created them male and female. That's what the Bible says. And you and I, if we are going to fall in line with what our society says and eventually what the law will say, we have to say whatever you say you are is what you are. That what gender are you? Choose one of the 40 available that are at your disposal. And if you say you're a man, I've got to say you're a man. If you say you're a woman, I've got to say you're a woman. And again, we're born with XXXY chromosomes, male or female, according to our biology. It's not based on a whim of what I choose to identify as. It's a matter of how God created me. And we're, living in, we're coming up to a point now where we're going to have to decide, will we fall in line with what society says we do, or will we fall in line with what the Bible says? I don't know what it means to be genderqueer. That's not a gender where I come from. What I recognize is male and female. If you say that, just know this, you're going to get written up at work. You're going to get some diversity training. You might even lose your job over it. So the question is, what's our response? What do we do with this? The world seeks to indoctrinate our children from the very earliest age. And if you don't take charge of, of teaching your kids, know that the world will. I was talking with a guy a couple of years ago, and he was like, saying, Pastor, we're thinking about homeschooling our kids, you know, because I can't stand the thought of my kids going to public school and hearing about the craziness of evolution. I was like, dude, do you really think the worst thing that your girl's going to hear at school is evolution? That's the easy stuff these days. It's easy to say, oh, that's not a big deal. But here's the thing. Kindergarten children are being indoctrinated in these types of things. One curriculum uh, that, that was written for kindergarten kids is called Who Are You? The Kid's Guide to Gender Identity. The author begins with a story saying babies can't talk so grown-ups make a guess by looking at their bodies. This is the sex assigned to you at birth. And then it goes on to give these kids options to choose from. Words like trans, gender queer, non-binary, gender fluid, transgender, gender neutral, gender, agender, neutral, bigender, third gender, two-spirit. Like, which one of these do you identify with? Ask a five-year-old that. Imagine your seven-year-old comes home from school and says, Mommy, I don't think I'm a girl anymore. How do we respond to that? You need to be prepared for this because this is what's going to happen. They teach kids in school using the gender-bred person. It's a person who's broken up to, into different ways to identify yourself. And it basically looks like a gingerbread cookie, and it identifies through there the different types of genders that you can be and different things you can choose from and how you identify from a sexual identity standpoint, what your actual uh, plumbing and hardware looks like versus the, the way that you uh, present yourself. And so you can be genderqueer, androgynous, metrosexual if you want to. And here's the crazy part. If you're an adult and you look at this and you're looking and going, what in the Sam Hill is this stuff? Imagine being six years old saying, I just thought I was a boy. Oh, no, you're not. Do you like playing with blocks with your sister? Well, yeah, because it's all we have. Well, then you, have you ever made a castle out of those Lego blocks before? You're probably a girl. You ever ride your brother's tricycle that's red? You're probably a boy. And they began to show these kids that gender is a societal construct. It's something that our society has made up. But you're more than that. 
You're a deeper expression of yourself. And you need to find out who you are and then identify with that. And so all this begins with the idea that you get to explore who you want to be at seven or eight years old. So again, this starts very, very young. By the time that kids get to be 11, 12 years old, they're firmly rooted in, in this type of ideology from a very, very young age. And, and this isn't happening by accident. While sin takes hold and refuses to let go, the world really just sinks its hooks in a little bit deeper. Sin already confuses us. Sin already causes us to wander outside of God's plan and God's will and rebel against God. Sin already does that. But our society has made a soft, cuddly bed that you can lay on while you do it and explore sin and rebellion against God. I read a book um, last month and it, was, it just absolutely made my head explode. It was a book written by a non-Christian that talked about the gender identity crisis among teenage girls. It sounds like really, really specific, but I have a, a preteen daughter and I want to know what, what's it about. And it was some of the most mind-blowing thoughts in the world. Did, I didn't know this until I read this book, and I, again, I'm just behind the eight ball and I need to, need to educate myself. And I'm not here to educate you on, on the, the gay agenda and LGBT stuff. That's not my job. I'm here to educate you on the Bible. But I just want to throw this out because you might not know this, that... If a child at 10 or 11 years old goes to a doctor and begins to say things like, I'm a girl, but I feel like a boy, they can give these girls puberty blocker medication so that they can put off puberty for a few years until they figure out what they want to be. And then they can choose from there. Because otherwise, they'll be, the puberty process will kick off and then at that point, it's not very easy to go back to, to being a boy again. And so think of these 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, puberty blockers. And here's the crazy thing. The puberty blocking medication they give them is the same medicine that they gave to rapists in the 50s that were caused chemical castration. And we're giving it to children. And they said the majority of the kids that go through these puberty blocker medications and go through these types of therapies that they give them in the high 90% will go on to take hormone replacement therapy or testosterone as a teenager to fully transition into being male. And you have a 12-year-old that starts puberty blockers and begins testosterone at the age of 15. They will be infertile for the rest of their life. What 15-year-old do you know that can think through those types of decisions in their mind. None. Here's the thing. You can't get a tattoo when you're 15 years old. You know why? Because you're an idiot. <laughs> right? No 15-year-old knows what they want on their body for the rest of their life. I will confess, full disclosure here, I got my first tattoo when I'm 16, when I was 16, and I'm utterly embarrassed by it to this day. You know why? Because a 16-year-old doesn't know what's going to be cool in 30 years. They just don't. We don't let kids smoke cigarettes until they're 21. You know why? Because they don't understand what that does to their body long term. You can't have a beer until you're 21 years old because you're not responsible enough. But we're going to take the advice of a 12-year-old who says, I don't feel like I want to be a girl anymore. And we're going to wreck them for the rest of their lives. This should be medical malpractice, but it's not. It's the accepted practice in our day-to-day. Things like the uh, Therapeutic uh, Fraud Prevention Act seeks to end what's called 
conversion therapy and replace it with what's called affirmative therapy. Now, if you read, if you Google uh, conversion therapy on the internet, your browser's gonna explode because it's terrible stuff. Conversion therapy is things like taking ice picks and sticking them in the brains of, of gay people to help turn them straight. If you read through the things that were done to try to convert people into to being, quote, straight, it's terrible stuff. Vomit-inducing, forcing them to look at homosexual pornography and giving them vomit-inducing medication or electric shocks. Things like that we would look at, and if you call that conversion therapy, that's disgusting. Anybody in the world says that that's terrible. But that's not all conversion therapy, according to their definition, entails. Conversion therapy is any attempt to change a person's sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. That's conversion therapy, according to the definition. And according to the Human Rights Campaign, says this, some right-wing religious groups, <laughs> again, labels, Right-wing religious groups promote the concept that an individual can change their sexual orientation or gender identity either through prayer or other religious efforts or through so-called reparative or conversion therapy. The research on such efforts have, been proven, have disproven their efficacy has also indicated that they're affirmatively harmful. That's according to the Human Rights Campaign. There's a key phrase in there that I hope you picked up on. Prayer and other religious efforts. If a guy in our church comes to me and says, Pastor, I think I might be a woman. And I say, let's put this off for a couple of weeks and pray about it and just read what the Bible says. That's conversion therapy according to the definition. Did you know that multiple states, Hawaii being one of them, has a law against conversion therapy? That if I were a therapist or a counselor, which I'm not, I'm just a pastor, but counselors and therapists, it would be illegal for them to say, are you sure about that? Let's pray about that or look at what the Bible has to say. Illegal against the law. Fine for that. So we're not allowed to question children. Mind you, we're talking about children. We're not allowed to question them or ask them to look at the Bible or to pray with them because that would be conversion therapy and that would be wrong. Again, we have to adopt what's called affirmative therapy. This supports identity exploration and development without any goal of any particular gender identity or expression. Hey, let's just figure this out, who you are. Let's take a look at the gingerbread person. He's no longer a gingerbread man. He's a gingerbread person because he doesn't have a gender. And let's figure out who you are and how you identify, and let's explore that and see how that feels. You should go home and try on your mom's dresses and see how that feels to you if you feel empowered by that. And they get these girls who are 12 years old, who come and say, I feel really weird in my body. Everything's kind of changing. I don't know how I feel about myself. I cry all the time, and I don't like the clothes that I have because I look funny in them. And when I try to dress up, I feel like I'm just playing dress up because I'm not really a woman yet. And sometimes I like playing basketball on the playground with the boys instead of sitting around passing notes with the girls that on the playground. And it's like, oh, you're not a girl. That's the problem. No, you just described every preteen girl in America, right? Feel weird in their body, nothing fits right, nothing looks right, they don't know who they are. They have these funny feelings all the time. They don't even know who really they are anymore. Boys used to be disgusting, now they're kind of interesting, but they're still really disgusting. You just described every preteen girl in America, yet we're going to give them medication and tell them that they should be a boy and you need to, to, to buy bandages off the internet and bind your breasts and make yourself appear as a boy because that's how you'll really find fulfillment? But again, if you say that they can't do that, it's conversion therapy and it's against the law. We need to understand what we're up against is, what, is all I'm trying to say. 
We live in a world that seeks to repress the truth. This is not surprising to us. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse number four, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The Bible tells us that God has purpose, or that the devil has purposely blinded people's eyes to the truth of God's word. It's the devil's fault through all this. Please understand that, that he's a liar and he sets this system up for everyone to fail. But here's the problem, and again, I'm not a prophet, and again, I look back 10 years and, and say I was wrong, and if I, if I do, I did. But just two weeks ago, Amazon began pulling books that they would no longer sell that listed LGBTQ as some sort of mental illness. So if you say that transgenderism is a mental illness, they're not going to sell your book. It's just not available. And when the largest bookseller in the world says, we're not going to sell these types of books because it could give people the wrong idea, we run into problems. And again, gender dysphoria is actually a dysfunction that's listed in the DSM-5 manual that's used by the American Psychiatric Association. So what they were, the book that was for sale was just fact. But they said, we're not going to promote things like that because it doesn't fit in line with our agenda. Social media platforms have now become the arbiters of truth. That if you post something of what you believe, they're going to automatically put a little banner on there and say, this might not actually be the truth. Social media platform Twitter, should you ever dead name or misgender a person, you will immediately be terminated from that platform never to come again. You might say, dead name and misgender, what does that mean? If you say the words, Bruce Jenner is a man, first of all, you have dead named him because that's not her name anymore. Her name is Caitlin. So you've dead named, and by saying that he's a man, you have misgendered him. You've created the two cardinal sins of social media. Now, should you threaten to kill someone or do bodily harm to them or incite a riot of some sort, you might get a slap on the wrist, but if you dead name somebody or misgender them, you're automatically done. And so now we have, again, this, I, want to, I want to preface this. This is my opinion. This is not biblical truth where we're at right now. I'm just going to throw out my opinion and we're going to move on, okay? I believe that we're entering into an area where censorship is beginning to take over not only mass media, mainstream media, but also social media. And this only is going to cause our voices to diminish. That's my thoughts. It's not from the Bible, just my opinion. If you disagree with me, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I really would. But just know this, that the world seeks to repress the real truth, even things like scientific facts. So, my biggest gripe with all this is that churches are turning their back on God's word and falling all over themselves to be deemed as, quote, woke. Social justice, social action has taken over so many churches that whatever is popular today, that's what they're for. That's what they're against. The churches are having gay pride celebrations in their auditoriums. That last summer, when Black Lives Matter was all the rage, you couldn't go to some of these church websites without being hit with banners everywhere about how Black Lives Matter. And again, it, it chaps my hide that these same churches just in the last two weeks have determined that Asian lives matter now, right? It's like, you gotta turn on the news to find out whose lives matter this week so that we can get that up on the church website really quick for everybody. 
And we want to find ways that we can be more connected to our society. That's garbage. And some ridiculous knucklehead who calls himself a pastor posted a video a couple weeks ago that somebody sent to me. And it just, it's just, I'll use a bad word that we tell our kids not to use. It's just stupid. The woman who came to Jesus, who asked for healing, and Jesus says, I don't give my bread to the dogs. And she said, well, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. Jesus was proving a point of her faithfulness and her desire to recognize him as God. This guy who calls himself a pastor, who obviously doesn't even read the Bible, said that Jesus used a racial slur against her to call her a dog, and Jesus was a racist. What? And then by Jesus saying to her, okay, I'll heal you after all, Jesus repented of his racism and served this woman. And I thought to myself, God help you when you meet God in judgment. Because you know who also perverts the word of God from the very beginning? The devil. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I heard that and I was just like, this is bad, 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 bad. But how far do we have to go to make Jesus out to be a racist so that he can turn around just like you and I can, right? Oh my soul. It hurts my heart. And these people call themselves Christians. They call themselves churches. No, no, stop. You're making real Christians look bad. You're making the real Bible-believing churches look bad. And we are not having the effect that we have because so many people are willing to jump on the bandwagon of the week. And so you know why people want to jump on these bandwagons as churches? You know why? It's an act of desperation to remain relevant. These churches forgot the gospel 100 years ago and they've got nothing left. They tried to have a rock concert. They tried to have a big show. They tried to invite in a a gay pastor who was really hip and cool and had a big YouTube following, and that didn't work. So what else can we do to remain relevant? What's something else we can do to be cool this week? I don't know. Let's be a part of some parade that's going on. Let's have a a group of people in here that, that would be deemed down. What's on the news this week? Oh, hate crimes are on the news. We'll talk about how we're against hate crimes this week. And it's like, please. This social activism is a convenient replacement for their dead and rotting religion. Look, you left the gospel 100 years ago. You stopped being relevant 100 years ago then. But let me tell you what works. Let me tell you what drives people in like a moth to a flame. The word of God. The Bible. People hear truth and they recognize truth. They might not like it. They might not enjoy it. It might not feel good, but they're drawn to it because it's true, because it's real. It's powerful. It's sharp. It's alive. And so people get drawn to truth. So here's what we're going to do with Huikala. We're going to continue to love the socks off of people and just say what the Bible says. And let me just tell you this. It's never been more relevant. The Bible has never been more true. How do we live in a crooked and perverse generation? I don't know. Let me give you five tips. Set up a YouTube channel. You know, get more followers on social media. You know, make sure that you hashtag all of your tags with BLM and Asian Lives Matter. What? No, let me tell you how we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Live harmless, live blameless as the sons of God without rebuke. Let your light shine in the world and hold forth the word of truth. There's six steps to fix this mess. Where did you come up with that? The Bible. It's relevant. It's real. Look, I don't have to wear skinny jeans and bedazzled shirts to be relevant and real. And pastors just shouldn't do skinny jeans. I don't care. 
<laughs> and again, this is just my opinion. You might disagree with me, and that's okay. 60-year-old men shouldn't shop at Hot Topic. It's just not a good look for you, right? <laughs> not good. So that was opinion. It's not in the Bible. It's just my opinion, okay? So how do we fix it? Well, let me first I'll tell you how not to fix it. So many people make the mistake of, of doing it the wrong way. I'm going to tell you what the wrong way is first, and then I'll tell you the right way. First way to, to not fix it, look to politicians to fix the system. This is broke. So we should carpet bomb the governor's inbox this Monday morning. You know what? His delete key is very, very powerful. Well, we'll show up at his office. We won't let him into his office until he hears this out. What do you think that's going to do? I'm going to give you a statement that you need to, to commit to memory. It's a really good life principle to live by. You cannot legislate morality. Our country tried to do this. Alcohol is terrible. You can't convince me otherwise. You just can't. It ruins marriages. It causes drunk driving deaths. You want to talk about preventable deaths? 30,000 deaths last year due to drunk driving, 100% preventable. It increases domestic violence. It increases suicide. It ruins marriages. You cannot convince me anyway that it's good for you. And the Bible backs that up too. If you want to have a talk about that, I'd love to talk about it. So, good, well-meaning Christians in our nation says alcohol will be illegal in this United States. Prohibition. Did that work? No. What did it do? It drove it underground. You know why? Because the focus was on the wrong thing. The focus was on, let's make a rule because everybody follows rules, right? Right? I mean, everybody follows rules, so we'll just tell people don't do it. Well, that doesn't work. You know why? Because our heart is a heart of rebellion. And our heart says, oh, there's a rule? Yeah, let me break that. That's who we are. And so you can't legislate morality. You can't say, here's the thing. For me, I, w- I was grieved when our Supreme Court says that you know, we're going to do away with traditional marriage. It's not traditional marriage, it's biblical marriage. We're going to do away with traditional marriage, they say, and create now marriage between a man and a man, woman and a woman, no restrictions. I was hurt by that because, first of all, God defines marriage as a man and a woman. Jesus goes on to confirm that in the Gospels. Anything outside of that is not real marriage, and any sexual uh, interaction outside of marriage is fornication, is a sin. I was grieved by that, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, I saw it coming. I, I wrote an email to somebody telling that I wasn't for it, and, and it happened, and it is what it is. But people aren't going to, quote, be straight because we tell them it's the law. That's foolish. So why would we think that the politicians are going to fix this whole problem for us? They're not. So, next wrong thing we can do, fight the system. Man, let's organize a counter-protest. Let's get a bunch of megaphones and shout people down. We'll make real big signs and hold them up. And we'll call people nasty names. And we'll be really, really ugly to people. We'll fight the system. Wrong answer. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness and the powers of evil. Our fight isn't against our fellow man. Our fight's against the devil. I hate the devil's guts. I don't hate anybody else. I love them. I want them to know Jesus. And and here's the thing. If you... I'm going to breathe. If you can see a person that is caught up and broken by sin and you want to make their life worse... 
You don't have the heart of Christ. If you want to see someone who has completely and utterly had their life racked and ravaged by sin, and you want to mock them and make fun of them and put them down and, and demean them, shame on you. You're not a real Christian. That's not the heart of Christ. When Jesus saw people that didn't know him, he was moved with compassion on them. So we don't fight the system. We don't fight other people, for heaven's sakes. You might say, well, Pastor, I've never been to a political rally in my life. Good for you. You fight with people on Facebook, and you need to stop it. Look, nobody has ever said, I think I'll give up a homosexual lifestyle and be straight because somebody posted a really nasty comment on my feed the other day. Nobody's ever been changed by that. And all that stuff that your grandma or your aunt posts on Facebook, don't repost that. It's not helping us as Christians, okay? Fighting with other people, even on the internet, doesn't change anything. And oftentimes Christians make a fool of themselves, a fool of their church, and a fool of the name of Christ by acting foolishly on the internet. Stop it. You're not going to change the world by fighting with people on social media. Seriously. And just know the more stuff that you put out there and the more garbage you put out there, the less relevant you become. And people just click that button that says hide. Like, I don't want to defriend you because I'm so friends with you, but I don't want to see this garbage. You're not having a real effect. Real effect takes place when we see people eyeball to eyeball and they see Jesus in our lives. That's when change takes place. Stop fighting with other people. How not to fix this? Become a crusader. I will take it up as, as my banner and my life's goal. My purpose in life to fight against the LGBTQ plus system. I'm going to fight against it. Hey, just know this. 18 months from now, the world's moved on from that and you're still fighting that. Well, I'll take up a different cause. Great. You'll get a new cause every 18 months. Stop. This is not your crusade to fix everybody that's wrong. It's not your job to correct everything that's broken. It's just not. So don't be a crusader. There's always going to be something to fight about. How not to fix it? Allow hatred to take up place in your heart. Just can't afford it. Your heart only has so much real estate. Don't give it up to hate. Just not, you can't. And let me just say this too. Any person who calls themselves a Christian names the name of Christ who is hateful towards gay people or has a racist bone in their body, just know this. It's not the heart of Christ. You need to repent and make it right with God. And I'll even take it one step further. If you hate gay people and you are, have racist tendencies or racist bone in your body and you're not willing to repent of it, I'll make it really easy for you. Just go because you're not welcome here. I thought everybody was welcome here. Yeah, they are as long as they're willing to fall in line with what God's word says. But if you want to openly rebel in hatred towards people, that's the opposite of Christ. You can't kick people out of church. The Bible says you can. Read Matthew chapter 18. If you're going to sin and you're not going to make it right, you need to go find somewhere else to do that because it's not welcome here. Because this is a place of love. Here's the awesome part about this. I know your heart. I know this is a place of love. You know why? Because I've experienced it. People walk in here for the very first time and they feel love in here. So I know that's not the heart here. I'm just saying if you're ever thinking about it, don't try it here because it's not welcome here. But the heart of Christ is alive in this place. People feel welcome. Hey, look, I've talked to a guy in the, in the lobby who came in. And he said, hey, I live across the street. We just moved in across the street. My husband wasn't able to make it today. I said, man, I'm glad that you're here today. 
I said, how long have you been on the island? We had a good conversation. And when he left, I said, hey, could you fill out one of these cards? I, I want to pray for you this week, and I want to shoot you a postcard. He said, sure. I had a word of prayer with him on the sidewalk. I wrote him a postcard that week and invited him to come back to church. He came back the next week. I gave him a devotional, told him to read it. It'll help him in his walk with God. And then what? I told him to keep coming back. And at some point he realized, hey, I think what the Bible is saying is that what I'm doing is a sin. It is. And I said, you got a choice. You can either work through it and stick it out or you can just continue on in sin. And he said, I'll put some thought into that. And he never came back. It hurt my heart. But man, he was welcome as welcome could be here. Because the spirit of Christ is alive in this church of compassion, of love, of mercy, of grace, of willingness to give people some space to be able to figure life out. But so many times we want people to fix this today. If you don't fix it today, you're wrong. And let me point out the other 12 ways that you're wrong. That's not how we do things. So how do we fix it? First of all, if you're a parent, take responsibility for training your own children. Otherwise, the world will gladly do it for you. I, this is how behind I am in this. Uh, you know, we had, we had two boys first and we had two girls. I didn't realize that at some point I'm going to have to have a conversation with my 12-year-old girl that, hey, here's what transgender is and that's not a thing for us. I didn't realize that was going to, we have to have that conversation. I remember the, the school that she went to before the one she's at now, she said, dad, there's a, a boy in my class that always hangs out with the girls. He talks like a girl. He, uh, wants to wear dresses to school and stuff like that. And I said, oh, that's a little bit different than what we're used to. And I said, you know, he probably doesn't have a, a dad around who's taught him, you know, things like how to be a man and stuff like that. And we had kind of a soft conversation at maybe, I don't know, maybe eight, or eight, eight years old, maybe nine or so about that. But I never thought I'd have to sit my daughter down and say, hey, all these changes that you're going through are normal. We've done that, had the, the puberty conversation. But I never thought I'd have to say, hey, like, hey, some people that you go to school with are going to start going off a different path. I didn't realize that, but guess what? Those are conversations we as parents have to, to have. And they might be awkward. And it might be weird, but we got to have them because otherwise the world's going to teach our kids. Now, if you really want to fix this mess, you really want to fix it, share the gospel. The gospel says, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're in the same boat together. Let's find help. Let's find a savior. Let's find someone that will help us. And his name's Jesus. The gospel says, the gospel begins with God loves you, and because God loves you, I love you. There's no hatred there. I don't know what you've heard about Christians before, but we're not a hateful people. We love people. Jesus loved everybody. Next, live the gospel. Live like you're forgiven. Live like you've been set free from your sin. The gospel says that God has delivered you from your sin. Start living like that. Next, live visible, consistent Christianity. You know, just know this. If at work you decide you're going to be the Christian and you're going to adhere to the Bible, your life automatically gets put under the microscope and you're immediately living in a glass house where everything you say and do is on display. Oh, yeah, you don't want some guy living with his boyfriend because that's a sin, but you look at porn. Hmm. Fair argument. I got nothing to say to that. You're both wrong. Oh, you want to call out somebody else's sin, but you don't want to take a look at your own. Exactly. That's why this passage says, harmless, blameless, without rebuke, sons of God, let the light shine, holding forth the word of truth. That's why we got to live on our A game 100% of the time without hypocrisy because we have to be willing to be light in this generation. 
It talks about the crooked nation. You know how to point out how crooked a stick is? Lay a straight stick beside it. If I live consistent Christianity, everybody's going to recognize how perverse they are. I don't have to point it out. My life will point it out. If we live visible, consistent Christianity. Next, don't quit. If Christianity is just something you're trying out for a minute to see if it fits, just know this, you'll be gone in six months because it's hard. Stick it out, stick through it. I know today's message is hard. Don't quit, don't give up. (laughs) Again, if this is your first time here, you picked a really good Sunday to come. Next week, it's gonna be happy. We're gonna be talking about the resurrection and how that brings reconciliation with God and we'll have uh, happy flowers here next week, okay? Today was hard, I get it. But don't quit. When faced with hard truth, don't give up. Look, I'll name you two dozen churches in our city that would never preach a message like this that you'd feel really comfortable in in your sin. Don't go that route. Don't quit, don't give up, stick it out. Next, lift up Jesus. Exalt the Savior. Here's the thing, if Jesus is lifted up in my life, other people will see that. I'm not trying to lift myself up. I'm a flawed, despicable, terrible human being. I'm trying to lift up Jesus in my life. I want people to see how good my Savior is. I want people to see the love of Jesus through my life the way that I love others. And finally, allow the love of Jesus to consume you and work through you. That's the idea, is that God's love is all over me and it's just working through me constantly. If I disagree with you, we can agree to disagree. I, I can't affirm what you're doing, but I love you, I'm for you. I hope that you find what you're looking for because I know that you're looking for truth. You're always welcome at my church. I want you to sit beside me. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you came in my church and you sat beside me, there'd be a dozen people that would find you that would not let you go until they found out who you were, how you found out about our church, what you do, where you live. Do you want to go to the beach with us this weekend? Guaranteed, guaranteed. Because the love of Jesus flows through us. We were traveling through the Midwest uh, several years ago. We we stopped through Idaho. Um, And when we're traveling, we're on the road. If if somebody's having church, we're going to be there. Uh, Just what we've always done as a family. And so we pulled in this church, we, Baptist Church in, in Idaho. I will never forget it as long as I live. And so we're sitting on the back row in this church, and this pastor uh, was just going off. I think he had, had, had megadosed on, I would say he'd overdosed on Fox News that weekend. He was just letting it fly. Uh, and he was saying some things that were borderline racist that was just like, ooh, I definitely wouldn't say that because that could be construed as racist, but hopefully I don't think he meant that as racist. And then he said a couple other things like, okay, that was totally racist. Um, And then it got to the point where he's like, you know what? All these faggots and sodomites and queers. And I was just like, sweetheart, grab your stuff. We're out. Done. Done. That is not Christianity whatsoever. Because had, and here's the thing, had somebody been sitting in the auditorium who was struggling with same-sex desire, which I'm just going to throw this out there, there's somebody here in our church today, whether it's the first service or this service, that's struggling with same-sex desire, that's struggling with sexual sin, that says, am I welcome here? When you say statements like that, you make it really clear, you are not welcome here. You are ugly, you are broken, you are messed up, you are unwanted, and you need to get moving. And that's the opposite of Christianity. You know what we did? We grabbed our stuff and went. Not because we were gay, because we're Christians. And Christians don't talk like that. So we need to make sure that our heart is right before God, that we make this a place of love, compassion, care, welcome, but yet we're not willing to compromise the truth of the word. 
Look, we've had people, again, that have, have been in our church for years that have been living in open, rebellious sin before God. And you know what we did? We loved them, encouraged them, we get them into a small group and grow as a Christian. And thankfully, at some point, they repented of their sin and got things right with God. Praise God for that. Final verse this morning, Psalm 125, verse number four. Psalm says, do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. God, would you bless us as we seek to live in this day? As such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity, but peace shall be upon Israel. We're in a rough time right now, but God, would you bless us as we seek to go and be light in our day? As we seek to hold forth the word of truth, God, would you go with us this week? God, we're living in a crooked and perverse nation that wants to take even the good things and make them perverted. God, would you help us to stand as righteousness and holiness in this world today? That's our prayer. Most important thing in the world, this is the most important thing in life. If you don't know for sure that you're saved and not 100% sure if you died today, heaven's your home, would you talk with one of us before you leave today? Because that's the most important thing. God wants to forgive you of your sin. And it doesn't matter what your sin is, God wants to forgive it and make it right and to allow you to live a life that honors and pleases him. But for those of us that are Christians, and most of the people in the room, I know your story and how you came to faith in Christ. I'm talking to a room of mostly Christians this morning. Would you live a legitimately awesome Christian life this week that would draw people to Jesus? If there's a shred of anger, hatred, or feeling like you're better than somebody else, would you confess that to God, repent of it, and move on? You know, people don't shoot up their workplace when the love of God is in them. So really the answer is not gun control or hate crime legislation. The answer is the gospel. You know, people don't hurt other people and start fights and say ugly things to people when the love of God is in them. So the answer is not hate speech legislation. The answer is the gospel. Here's the awesome news. We got the gospel. We have the antidote for the disease. You know, the worst part about it is it's still sitting in the medicine shelf in the back corner with those antibiotics that you never finished. For many Christians, it's just, eh, I know it's what fixes it, but what are we going to, no, no, we're going to get it done this week. But we've got to make sure that our lives, blameless, harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, as light in the world, holding forth the word of light. That's our job this week. Let's get it done. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.